Today's episode is obviously from our own personal stories, and we understand every family and working mom and dad will have different sets of needs and desires. If you're listening, chances are you have questions about how we might handle this whole mom and work dance. And while we may not have all the answers, we definitely don't. We hope today's episode gives you some fresh ideas and a little encouragement too. This is episode six, how to manage being a working mom or dad. So how to manage being a working mom or dad. Girl, this is a topic that we both have firsthand experience in for what you going on six years and me going on five with a five-year-old. Yeah, so I think um, before we dive in, I. We'll just set up, we'll set this up for you a little bit. Um, so our kids are actually very similar in age. I have, both of my girls just have birthdays. Uh, I have a six-year-old, Nell, and a three-year-old, Mona. God bless her. <laughs> and actually, my three-year-old and Leslie's little one go to the same daycare. They do. We're, not only are we work buddies, our girls are school buddies, which, come on, that's the most freaking adorable thing ever. And our husbands are friends, and they like to hang out and smoke cigars and drink too much whiskey. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and admittedly, we did have some frosés with our lunch today, so we might already have a little uh, adult juice in our bellies while we're recording right now, which should make this extra fun. Okay, so Leslie, tell us your kids' ages and names. So you mentioned my little one. She is Hasley. She is a year and a half and a tiny little firecracker. I was going to say, she's hysterical. She's a pint-sized little firecracker too. Girlfriend has personality and a huge <laughs> vocabulary for not even being two years old. And I have a five-year-old son named Ford. I don't me. think she likes me. <laughs> Hasley kind of has that resting, uh, angry name face. She looks a little serious most of the time, but she's got a really fun personality. I know so she It's does. been fun getting to know you and your kids. And it's, it's cool that we're sort of in similar, we're similar age, similar life stage, similar kids ages. And we can speak from our experiences on how to manage being a working mom, because for both of us, we love our kids and we love family, but we also love our work. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Kate, but I struggled with being a stay-at-home mom, I wasn't ever actually one. I'll get into more of that later and my story about that. But I thought for years I would want to be a stay-at-home mom and not be working. And uh, let me just say it was not as hard as I thought it would be to go back to work <laughs> when my son was about three months old. I actually really enjoyed having that adult fulfillment. That sounds really dirty. I wasn't doing a dirty job. I was a photo stylist and social media manager. But I really still needed that career fulfillment, that outlet for your creativity, all that stuff that is really hard to get when you are a stay-at-home parent. Yeah. And that is in no way knocking stay-at-home parents. There are some people that are meant to do that, and I just think that's marvelous. I, I surprised myself because I thought I wanted that, and when push came to shove, I, I really didn't. I wish that I had that gene in me actually. So yeah, I'm, I'm similar to you in that way. I really obviously love my kids deeply. <laughs> um, I also love to miss them and I do like come three o'clock. I'm like, where are my babies? I want to see them. Um, 
I, I actually thought I would, I was the same thing. I thought I would want, and I actually wouldn't, my beat when my first baby was little, I wanted to spend more time with her, but my job would not allow me to do that. I was at the corporate um, architecture firm, very large. And I was required to go back after my um, family medical leave act was up, which I know is probably the case for maybe some people listening. And honestly, I cried, not just like little tears, like ugly cried. Like, I don't know if anybody saw Katy Perry the other day on American Idol when she cried the ugliest cry ever. It was so funny. Um, but it was kind of like that (laughs) every freaking day on my maternity leave. I was, I was so sad at the idea of leaving my little baby. And yet when that day came and I had to go back and I walked in the doors, I was so, I told, I warned my friends. I was like, don't anybody talk to me. Don't ask me about my baby. I'm milk stuff might start flying everywhere. I just don't do it. (laughs) I sat down and I got to work and, and as you know, about 10 o'clock. A part of that was difficult for me because my Nell, my oldest, she wouldn't take a bottle. I went back to work on my first day of work and she had never taken a bottle and we tried everything. We tried me leaving the house, nothing. She, she just didn't want anything to do with it. And I was so scared. I'm like, what is she going to do? Is she going to starve? And of course my lactation consultant assured me she as primal instincts, she's not going to allow herself to starve. And by 10 o'clock, I got a, a, a text photo from my nanny with a picture of her drinking her bottle. And I literally, and this was an open office concept. I literally jumped up and threw my arms in the air and was like, yes, <laughs> nobody, had mom heard, nobody had heard a peep out of me for three months. Cause I had been away and I walk in and I start yelling things right off the bat. So they're like, welcome back. Hey. So anyway, it was hard, but I was glad I got back into the groove really quickly. Um, I had a modified schedule with them. They allowed me, well, I think they may have covered this in episode one, but it allowed me to, um, they allowed me to work 30 hours a week. Uh, that is not to say they, they still gave me 40 hours worth of work, which is its whole other conversation. But, um, it, it was tough that those first six months managing being back at work and doing the whole song and dance of balancing things and nursing and pumping and all of that and trying to get home in time to to see your babies before they fall asleep for the night. Um, but anyway, I was glad to be back in it, staying at home, being a stay at home mom for us wasn't an option financially. Um, so we had figured in childcare from the start. Um, and yeah, what was it like for you with Ford? Cause was it, I imagine had things changed f- for you when you had Ford and versus when you had Hasley? Yeah, I was in a very different situation with Ford. I was working full time for another company And I had my 12 weeks of mat leave Mm -hmm. and, you know, years ago, like before kids were actually in the picture, my husband and I had talked about, you know, kids come, I stay home for a few years, you know, maybe a part-time sort of hobby job, something to keep me busy, but mostly me staying home, my husband working. Well, the way it all worked out at the time, it actually made more sense, similar to you, Kate, financially for me to be the one to go back to work. And for my husband to stay home with my son. So he had just graduated with his master's degree and he ended up staying home with Ford for the first 18 months while I worked full time, which was a total shift from what we thought we would do. 
Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly challenging for him. He did an, like, an amazing job. Ford is so, so lucky that he got that from his dad for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And still, you know, but he's in school now. He's in pre-K already. And I went back to work. And I, I didn't love, love, love everything about that job. But I really realized that I liked having that and being there and contributing and being creative and being around adults and all that good stuff. And it was very different with Hasley because by the time I had her, she's not even two. I was already working for myself doing this business and there was no mat leave, my friend. I was literally on the phone with my amazing assistant while I was in labor on a Saturday because we had a kitchen installation going on and there was contractor questions and issues and all those wonderful things that go along with being a business owner. And there was no 12 week paid mat leave. There was no one else to take over. That was me. But I chose that. I actually didn't want to shut things down to lose momentum. And for me, when Hasley was born, I really liked the idea of sort of just rolling her into our lives and making her part of what we'd already established instead of, you know, having a first child, I felt like we sort of stopped and had to completely rejig. By the time you have baby number two, you're like, I got this. They're yeah. super portable when they're brand new. We <laughs> had her. She came with me on site visits when she was, I don't know, two, three weeks old. And I will say I was not working at the same level, same amount of time and same intensity that I had before I had her. There was absolutely a slowing down with a brand new baby. And certainly, you know, taking the time to appreciate her and invest in her. But for those of you who have already had kids. I was going to say, damn, you're back at work after two to three weeks. That is bananas. I never actually took a mat leave with her. And in my office here. I I had to fight for mine. That was. When you were self-employed? Yeah. So with with Mona, my, I call her my baby. She's three. Um, She. At that point, I was working for myself. It was very similar to your situation. In that case, I had recognized um, that I didn't, I couldn't manage personally doing the corporate gig and being a full full time, and then being also a full time mom. We're always a full time mom, right? There's no such thing as a part time mom um, or dad. And so I was working for myself, and you know, my husband, bless his heart thought that I could just like squeeze in a little bit of work here or there. And, um, and I was just like, no, dude, I'm taking off my time. And of course, you know, I ended up doing things like working on my website and refreshing that, um, some other back of house things that I had wanted to work on, but I never had time for. So there was that, but I put my foot down and I was like, no, they're only little once I'm taking this time. I know financially we're going to have to be creative and we're going to have to be frugal, but it is important and come. And I don't think it was a full 12 weeks. I think it was more like eight or nine, but um, I had to fight for that. And it was important for me. I mean, our bodies need that time to recover. Our minds do. I found myself saying, forget my body. I want my mind back. I was just, and I think, I mean, honestly, if you ask me if there was 
any other thing I would do besides being an interior designer, I think I would be a doula. <laughs> I love all things, babies and pregnancies and births. And those first few weeks are critical. And I really am grateful for my, I'm proud of myself for fighting for that. And it was important, but I was ready to move on and get back to it as well. So with Mona, your second baby, then what did it look like for you? Cause you had, were you on your own at that point or you were full-time for yeah. someone else? Okay. So you were on your own. What did that look like for you with childcare and getting help? Did you get help? Did she just come to work with you? Yes. So I worked from home. I had a home office. I did have one assistant working for me at that point and he helped me during my maternity leave. So he would do all of the interfacing with my clients and communicating on my behalf. Um, so he was keeping, we tried to wrap up as much as we could before uh, she was born. And then um, the, the sort of straggling things left to do, he helped me with. But once it was time for me to get back to work, he was, he continued to work with me. Um, but I had a nanny again for, for both my girls. I had a nanny for the first three months and with Mona, because I worked from home and there was a nanny at home. Anytime she needed a nurse, she would bring me down. She, sorry. She would, she'd bring my baby down to me. We would nurse play for a minute. And we did that a couple of times a day um, before we transitioned to daycare. And so that's, that was a really blissful time of my life. It, it felt easy. I felt so grateful to have that situation. Um, and those, those circumstances available to me, um, that is not lost on me that that is something that a lot of people would love to have and can't have. Um, I, I felt very grateful that it, it had its own challenges too, but we knew it was a season and it worked for us in that moment. And then she went to daycare and weaned yourself off of that. And so, but now we're facing sort of new challenges. You know, we both have kids in kindergarten and now we are figuring out like what to do over the summer um, to, to occupy our kids during the summer when there is no school, because in the past she was always in daycare year round. Um, so we're actually looking at moving my mom into the same city to live with us to help in the summer. So these are all the sorts of things that you have to work around um, being a working mom or dad, a working parent. Yeah. I love that you had such a great support system in place. You had an assistant in your business. You had someone helping with your kids, kid, singular, the one that was at home being a baby. And, <laughs> and I think that's such an important thing is that as women, as moms, as business owners, there is, I think even now, even with all this like rah-rah girl boss, empowering women thing, there's still this kind of stigma about accepting help and you know, that it's less than somehow to accept help, to hire help, to use your money wisely to buy you more time and bandwidth and mm -hmm. brain space and ability. And I think that's a constant between the two of us, Kate, is that when the time was right, we both knew to spend our hard-earned money to get the help we needed so that we could succeed personally, professionally, and all of that. And when Hasley was born, I have a home office. I work from home. My husband was writing his dissertation. He worked from home. And we spent 11 months juggling mm -hmm. a baby. I mean, not physically juggling a baby. But <laughs> we honestly had a Google calendar and we yeah. had to schedule, okay, he's got her this day. I've got her this day. 
we have half, I have Wednesday morning, he has Wednesday afternoon. And it was challenging, but I needed it so I knew when I could make outside appointments. And it worked well for us because it meant that, you know, we were both home. He would take her when he, when she needed to nurse, I would go do that. I would take a break from work when she was napping. We could both hunker down and get stuff done, Mm -hmm. but you know, it definitely had its challenges and she was 11 months old and we were like, okay, we can't just sit there in a pack and play while we work for an hour anymore because she (laughs) needs and deserves more than that. She's old enough now. Gosh, when they're like three, four, five months old, they are happier than clams just to lie around and look at you and giggle and it's all good. I know. I went to a workout this week and this woman brought her pack and play and stuck her baby in the pack and play. We work out in the park. And the baby just hung out and looked at the trees and the birds. And I was like, that just looks so easy. I don't know if my kids ever did that, but maybe anyway, you're right. They're portable. They are, but they, but then they get less portable. And we hit a point where just shy of a year, we're like, we can't, we can't keep up this pace. We're both not getting the focus we need, the time we need. And we put her in a full-time daycare and with my son, that was the best thing we ever did when he, he was about 20 months old when he started daycare. And I honestly wish we'd done it sooner for him because the love he got, the care, the education, the friendships, the socialization, all of that was so mm-hmm. beneficial to him. And mm-hmm. so we were a lot, we were a lot quicker putting Hasley in daycare because we <laughs> saw how great it was for Ford and we knew it would be that way for her too. And it's worked out great for us. It affords us the time and the space to get the work done we need. And my husband and I both fully are aligned in the fact that work time is work time. And we both really use that to focus on work. And when work time is over and kids are home, that's family time. And of course things cross boundaries, but we are really intentional about keeping work to work time, keeping family to family time and make sure, making sure we choose quality time over just sheer quantity on things. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds like a pretty obvious one is childcare. I think it's it's pretty easy that we're all going to need help taking care of our children, whether they're infants and it's a spouse that's helping you and you're sharing the load, whether it's a family member coming and helping you out, whether you're putting them in, in daycare um, or a nanny situation. But obviously, if you know, you're going to be running a business. Childcare is, is a big one. And it's obviously up to you how that looks for you and your family. And, you know, we moved from a place where childcare, we were paying, we were paying $2,400 a month for childcare in Denver for our two girls. It was astronomical. (laughs) So childcare costs are expensive too. So get creative there as well. Um, so what are some other ways that we seek help? Um, in our businesses to allow us to, to run them the way that we do. Um, we've, we've already talked about a couple of them, but, um, uh, another one is an assistant. So Leslie and I both have assistants. Um, I think one of the things that was, I remember when I first started thinking about hiring someone and I had always thought of it as I can't afford an assistant. I can't afford an assistant. And now (laughs) you'll hear me say you can't afford not to. Uh, Number one, it raised my capacity to be able to take on more clients or bigger projects, um, which allows me to make more money. Number one, number two, um, 
my clients, excuse me, my assistants are Leslie's too coming in and working under our direction. And, um, uh, Leslie can maybe speak to her business model a little bit more because I think it's slightly different than mine, but, um, my, I mark up the, the hourly rate of my assistants to my clients. So for every hour that she works for a client or on a client project, um, my client gets billed for that too. Um, at a higher rate than what I pay her. So I'm actually making money there. Now, you know, there might be some people who say to yourself, like, wait, you're making money on people. And I'm like, yes, this is a business. This is how it is. And when I was working at my corporate gig, they were making money on me too in the same way. And when I did my first job working at the boutique design firm, that's just how it is. So it's not an unusual thing. Um, and I seem to get that question a lot. Um, so it not only will give you more capacity, but it can also allow you to make more money in your business. Leslie, how do you, um, if you don't mind sharing a little bit with how you run your business with the people that work for you? Yeah. Hiring help was something I waited a long time to do and wish I hadn't. And I understand it is real scary to, especially when, you know, you're not collecting a steady paycheck as the owner of the business. It can be really scary to think about having someone else to pay for. But what Kate mentioned about, you know, you pay your assistant X per hour, but you bill them out at three times that as long as you are strategic about giving them billable work to do a certain percentage of the time, you will be profitable having someone help you. Yes, of course it comes. As a rule of thumb, I will tell you that I aim for 80% of their time to be billable. Yep. I do as well. I don't always succeed because there's sometimes we're slower or there are other business building projects I need more help with, but that is a great rule of thumb to make sure that an assistant becomes an asset to you and not a liability in terms of finances. And so the way I have things set up, the very first hire I did for help was a contracted bookkeeper. And I'm telling you, take all my money, make my books good. Like I would pay them a million dollars to make that problem go away for me. That was. You're going to have people knocking on your door asking to do your books now. That's true. I won't really pay you a million dollars. I don't, I'm not doing that, but I have a great bookkeeper who I love. And that was the first thing I, I guess I wouldn't call that a hire but I did contract out my bookkeeping because I would spend 12, 15 hours a month on it. And it's probably a job that could take four hours. And I just thought to myself, man, if I had billed out that 12 hours at my rate, I could easily afford a bookkeeper and then some. So that became a no brainer when I just realized the time and energy I was expending was not equal to the results I was getting from it. So I've had a contracted bookkeeper for a while. And a couple years ago, I hired an executive coordinator, so not a designer. And I'd love to jump into that in a future show about how to hire and sort of who to hire in what order. Mm -hmm. But admin help was a more important priority. Now, I will say that means they're probably not going to be as billable as a design assistant. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely work that she does. Her name is Samantha for me that is billable. And she helps with calendars and appointments. She clips products into Ivy and prepares proposals. And we'll talk more about Ivy and software in a future episode, or we have already, I've lost track. We've got so much good stuff going on. So <laughs> she does the tedious stuff that I pick all the pretty things and she really gets the nuts and bolts into place so that we can mm -hmm. do client proposals. She does the purchase order. She does the tracking, the expediting, making sure that everything is running smoothly behind the scenes. And so she's who I had in place when I had the baby 
And it was so wonderful having an assistant. I could not have done that with Hasley had a baby been present in my business if I had had the full workload that was actually going on. And having someone to help you is worth every penny once you get to a point where you know you can't afford someone. And our arrangement has always been part-time. She's an independent contractor, not an employee. So schedule is flexible, hours are flexible, and we've come to a great agreement because she's also a mom. She has a young baby and works from home and wants and needs the same Her flexibility I do. Her baby goes to daycare with ours. <laughs> oh, no, that's a, the different. Oh, question. you're talking about Samantha. Yeah. Okay. I got two assistants now. I so yeah. cool. <laughs> no, anyway, Samantha has a young baby. And then now I also have a design associate helping me. So she's local in Waco. Samantha is not here. So we work virtually, which works great for an assistant admin position because you don't need to be side by side. Everything we do, we collaborate on Zoom. We chat through Slack and all that good stuff. But now I also do have a design associate here in Waco, Tammy. Her daughter also goes to school with our girl. So it is one big happy party. (laughs) And that has been awesome. Just having someone else to bounce design ideas off of, to be present at design jumpstart sessions with clients. She's my brain. Like she takes all the notes and organizes all the things and allows me when we're with a client, she allows me to be fully present with that client, engaged, giving my best ideas and not caught up in the logistics of writing everything down, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. And we've, we're small, but mighty. There's just the three of us plus the bookkeeper and it's working really well for me right now. And, you know, kids are gone during the day and we hustle to get as much done as we can by three o'clock. And having that in position has been, I couldn't do it without them. Yeah. Nope. That's right. And so I have one too now, and she does basically what your Tammy does. Her name is Claire and she creates our client binders. She comes with me to meetings. She takes all of the notes. Um, she helps me. She does a little bit of what both of your girls do. Um, she helps me put together all of the specs and the proposals. Um, but definitely having someone at those meetings is so helpful for me for that very reason that they can be my note taker and uh, I, I can stay present with my clients. Okay, so hiring help is obviously a no-brainer. I would add to that conversation before we move on that I know we'll cover this later on another episode in more depth, but the way we have both set this up is that they are hired within a contractor capacity. Um, I've always explained to my staff that our work has seasonality to it and there will be times when we are very busy and times where we are slower. And so for that reason, I can't promise X number of hours. Um, And there are some stipulations around how to properly hire a contractor versus an employee. That is something I would suggest you discuss with your CPA or your bookkeeper on the legalities there. Um, There's just some technical things like they have to have their own equipment, like their laptop, for example, or their own phones. But if you're providing all of that already, then they probably wouldn't qualify as a contractor um, and some other boring details, but we're going to move on. Um, And I want to talk about time blocking because time blocking is something that Leslie and I are both, well, let's put it this way. We both do it. Leslie is passionate about it and she follows her time blocking religiously. I'm a little bit more relaxed in that area, but it is super helpful for me. So Leslie, um, 
tell, tell for people that aren't familiar with time blocking, tell them a little bit about what it is and how do you set up your time blocking for your week? What does your week look like? So I've always been really interested in productivity and time management. I used to be a professional organizer. Basically, I'm a hardcore nerd. I love my <laughs> calendar and my schedules. And I will say, starting out the gate, I did not have these systems in place. I had a week and I had appointments whenever there were appointments and I did other work whenever there was time to do other work. And that was that. I started to really feel like I was being pulled too many directions. I'd be working on a blog post one morning and then have to jump ship and go to a client meeting or, you know, I'd have a networking event and then suddenly had to go do bookkeeping and stuff that just took a lot of and mental shift and emotional shift and energy shift. Like it was just straight up pulling me all over the place. And I felt right. like I could never really get traction and get going on things because I always had to jump to the next thing that was completely unrelated. Right. And so I learned, I think it was There's through, a lot of science, sorry to interrupt, but there's so much science around how our brains work and um, how we never actually multitask. That's a, that's an obvious one, but also like how much time it, I, I think the number I heard was something like seven minutes. So when you switch activities, it actually takes your brain about seven minutes in to the new task to be fully engaged and involved in what it is that you're doing. And imagine if you're switching that on and off throughout the day, how much wasted time it is. So yeah, Sorry. you're missing oh. hours of productivity. And as yeah. a parent, you ain't got time to do that. And when you're task switching, you're burning jet fuel. Like if you think of a rocket taking off, it burns, what, 90% of its fuel at launch? I don't know the technical specs. Don't come yelling at me. <laughs> the concept is there. A rocket takes off, it burns all the fuels, and it really only needs a little bit of fuel once it's up in the air to get to where it needs to, I don't know, to fly, to coast. I don't know what rockets do. But... <laughs> We burn so much mental energy getting started. And so if you can get started and go, you're mm -hmm. going to go really far. If you're yep. getting started and task switching, you're going to be burnt out and exhausted. So I think it was from Michael Hyatt. I learned the idea of creating an ideal week and we'll put a link to his stuff in the show notes. He's great at productivity and leadership stuff. And he talks about this idea of an ideal week. So you look at your calendar and say, okay, like what is ideal for me? When do I have the most energy? When do I like to be working on certain types of projects? And you actually, I have a Google calendar that's literally called ideal week. I don't keep it on all the time, but I have it in there for planning purposes. And I have blocked out days to do certain things. So for me, now, is this something that you do, at, you revisit every week or it's something you do once every season or quarter month year? and just reevaluate and base your week on that. I set it up and revisit it when it starts to feel like things might not be working or okay. priorities have shifted and things like that. Okay. So what does it look like for you? My ideal week right now is Mondays are office days. I don't take client meetings. I don't take phone calls. Mondays for me are, I'm part of a, um, accountability group, business owners, we meet Monday mornings and then the rest of my day is spent on blog and marketing. So Mondays are really business development and marketing. Tuesday, all day is a client day. Wednesday is networking and business development. So attending in-person networking things, working on website development. I've just put out a new quiz on my website as a new sort of lead magnet and opt-in. That's the kind of stuff I work on on Wednesdays. Thursday are client days. And Tuesday and Thursday are when Tammy's in the office with me, which is why that works. So we really double down and focus on client work just two days a week. 
Yeah. Friday morning, you and I, girl, do our podcast. Your weekly coffee date with it is. And then Friday afternoons are when I, I wrap up my week. So I'm sending client emails for active projects. If I'm doing some sort of online training course, I'll do a module on that. And that's just really my time to wrap up the current week and set the stage for next week. And like you mentioned, Kate, I'm really firm on this time blocking. I found that it works for me. Mm -hmm. And there are exceptions. I met with a client on Monday last week because it was the only time our contractor could meet the three of us. Fine. I will make those exceptions. But for the most part, I don't take client meetings other than Tuesdays and Thursdays. I don't take potential client calls. You know, I think there's three days a week. I do those. And I've just found it gets me into such a better rhythm and I'm able to be a lot more productive in the time I have Yes. instead of feeling like I'm pulled a million directions and suddenly it's three o'clock and I have to get my kids. Yes. Oh my gosh. Sitting down at the beginning of the week and writing out all of the things that you need to get done that week can feel like insanity. It feels like it feels overwhelming and like overload. Um, but if you follow the time blocking planning, at least loosely, then you know where your priorities are. And also I think your clients start to understand like when they're going to be hearing from you and you can allocate your time more responsibly. So honestly, I'm not going to recap that for myself because mine's almost identical. Um, I am a little bit more, uh, relaxed in that, um, when I need to be, I guess I'm just flexible. just like you are, um, you know, things come up. I had a kid this week that was sick and I needed to help take care of her. So you have to rearrange your week. Um, so uh, time blocking is, is really important for, for me as well in that respect. And, um, you know, this, I didn't read a book, um, which is surprising because I love to read books on this kind of thing, (laughs) but it sort of came up naturally for me because I'll be, this is sort of a vulnerable moment. I'll be honest about my, um, myself here. I, I have ADD. Um, I have taken a small dose of medicine for it since I was in the seventh grade and it really helps me get focused and get clear on things. But when I was pregnant and nursing, I wasn't able to, I I didn't have the skill set really to naturally organize myself without the assistance of, of medication. And so I had to come up with systems for myself that could help me focus and get organized. And that's where time blocking started to work for me. And I've, I've just been doing it ever since. So, um, I, another couple of things that I do that help me with keeping distractions at bay, since we're on kind of this topic, I use, um, boomerang. Uh, I use Gmail, I use boomerang and I can pause my inbox. So if email is a distraction for you, you can pause your inbox so that you don't get any new email and you can schedule it to turn back on at, you know, four or five o'clock or whatever. Um, but this way I can always go back and reference old emails, which we do all the time, but I'm not getting distracted by new emails. Um, number two, when I sit down and I work on client work and I turn on that timer, it is sacred and I turn off my phone and I put it on airplane mode and I go to town. Um, and the other thing that boomerang can do actually is it can, 
if there's something you know you need to respond to, but it's not urgent and doesn't need a response right now, I will. you can schedule it to return to your inbox at a particular time. So if I get an email that's about a client project or whatever, and I know I'm going to be sitting down to work on this tomorrow morning, I will boomerang it to come back the following morning. And then the last thing that I do with organizing myself this way is because I am personally the most creative in the morning, I avoid even opening my email in the morning on those client days until I have sat down. I've done a couple of hours of just creative thinking and working and planning for my client projects. So um, hopefully some of those ideas might resonate with you and you might want to include them in your practice. Yeah. I think the key to the ideal week is to figure out what your rhythm is. And it might not be something that you even realize you have, but there's going to be times of day where you know you can get shiz done. And there's going to be times for me, hello, 2 to 4 p.m., when I'm a big fat sack of useless. And I'm tired, and I just don't have a lot of oompapa, and I find myself spinning my wheels on projects. And so I don't schedule things for those times that require a lot of me. That can be the admin, the wrap-up, the... I don't know, emails, the organizing, it's not the critical thinking or really solid design work for me. I'm a morning person. I'm at my desk by 6.30 in the morning and I do half an hour of prep for my day before my kids even get up. Yeah. I journal, I look at my day, I kind of get in the right headspace and then I really jump into work about 7.45 or 8 after the kids are at school. That works for me, but yeah. not everyone is a, a morning bird like myself. <laughs> Can I add one more thing to this list is uh, communicating with clients. I, I also send an end of week email to my clients. Me too. So this allows me, and I set that expectation for them that they know to hear from me at the end of the week. So they're not emailing me asking questions like, Hey, what's going on over there? They know, unless I have a a critical question to ask them that's timely, they're going to hear from me and get an update at the end of the week. And this prevents a whole lot of back and forth emailing and um, communications that way. So um, that's, that's an important one as well. I agree. And that's something that I didn't start doing until maybe about a year ago. And now I can't believe I ever did because <laughs> clients love it. Like they might not, they wouldn't come to you and be like, make sure I hear from you every Friday. Mm-hmm. But just the confidence it builds in clients to know that you are on top of things they're not forgotten about. Even when projects are slow, I'll send like an animated GIF or something funny and just be like, Hey, everything's still rolling. Here's a, I don't know, someone silly throwing a banana, who cares? But it's just to keep that relationship (laughs) going and to know that they're on our schedule, they're on our mind. And I feel like it's alleviated a lot of client concerns. Not only that, she practice. Yeah. Chances are your clients are hiring you because they're very busy. They don't have the time or skill to do what it is that you do. And they appreciate not having to answer a million emails. They appreciate having a one and done bulleted email at the end of the week that they can respond to in their own time over the weekend. And then you get it back Monday morning and you know exactly what to do next. Yeah. Um, I, I could talk about that sort of thing like all day. But we've got some other things to cover before we wrap this up, right? We do. And this is is one that you excel at. And I don't think I have anything in my contract about this. So I want to hear from you about what you have in your contract about setting client expectations around the fact that you're a mom and you have kids. 
Yeah, I'm going to try to multitask, which I just said you can't do that, but I'm going to attempt um, to pull up my agreement with my clients that they sign at the outset of a project um, while I'm talking about this. Um, so I set my clients' expectations up very early on about the fact that they are working with a boutique interior design company and that we are a, as you said, Leslie, small but mighty firm and that um, they know that they, they, they know at the end of the day that we're freaking human beings here. Um, they're not working with Coca-Cola. Okay. Um, so, but there are some people that need just a little reminder of that. And so I have a couple of things in my contract that really set this up early on. So I have a texting policy. Um, as a general rule, so this is actually in my client agreement. I'll read it right now. It's number one, texting. As a general rule, do not text. Please call or email to discuss your project. Texting is reserved for friends and family. Um, KBID is not responsible for information relayed via text message, and such information shall not be considered binding information. Exceptions include last-minute cancellations or delays for standing meetings and communicating during installation days. Um, I try to maintain this pretty strictly and I do a pretty good job. I know Leslie has a different relationship with her clients and that works for her. I, I simply can't do it. I, <laughs> I hate texting. And so if they need to talk to me, they are welcome to pick up the phone and call me, especially if it's about a design question, we follow up with an email, but other than like quick logistical things, texting is not allowed. Um, number two, I have, um, really strict studio hours and I have my working days Monday through Friday from 8am to 4pm. Um, I do not hold meetings on Mondays or typically Fridays. Um, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, I will hold meetings. Um, I am flexible on that. If, um, it is hard for them and their work schedule to meet, um, like if they need a Monday or Friday, it's fine. I can make it work. Um, but where I do get pretty strict about is my evening work meetings. So if, or weekends, if someone says, Oh, I'm sorry, I have a job. I work. I can't meet with you during the day. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm happy to meet with you in the evenings or the weekends. My rate is a time and a half. And all of a sudden they have time in their day to meet with me. It's like magic. That is incredible because <laughs> I get asked that a lot and I'm just, I just say no. I used to do evenings and weekends and I was always resentful and oh, that's my family time. And yes. so now I'm just like, no girl, I'm not doing yep. it. But I love your strategy. That's a way to really put it back in the client's court. And they're like, oh no, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm in control now. I'll make it happen during daytime hours. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, a couple more things that are definitely in my contract. So I have personal days. This is a clause and I will read it. It says we are a small independent design studio and may be closed during illness, caring for six children or in alignment with school closures. We will do our best to provide advance notice whenever possible. Otherwise, you will be notified with an out-of-office responder. Please allow additional time to respond to emails upon our return. Um, and then just following that, I have holidays. I have a list of standing holidays in which our office is closed. Um, these are outside of personal days and school closures. And I say it may be altered at any time. So I have 
everything in there that I know that I'm taking off, including my freaking birthday, because I don't like to work on my birthday. I love uh, that. But I have uh, one week before, during, and after Christmas. I have the week of Thanksgiving because I know my kids are off for school. Um, Labor Day. The week of 4th of July, our kids' school is closed. That's in there, Memorial Day. So all of those, before they ever get started with me, um, are things in my contract that they sign off on. That way they can never come back to me and say that they feel like I'm always gone or I'm not available or worried that I'm not focusing on them. Um, So that is a pretty critical piece of it, of course. People forget they get busy and I always try to remind them in advance, like, don't forget we're going to be closed this week. We're offline. You will not hear from us. Um, but they always know when they will hear from us again. Um, but I also try to set my projects up so that if we have any big presentations, we do that before a big holiday if we can. Of course, I just got through with spring break, which is right in between a project. And so you just make it work. But Put these sort of things into your contract to set your client's expectations up early and you will have not only will you look so professional and put together and legitimate and your clients will appreciate you and respect you and your family time. And you can feel like you can live, you know, basically a double life, which is, I mean, life and work blend together all the time, but I feel like you can just relax a little bit because your client's expectations are already set up. So I love it. And Kate, let's throw this in our show notes as a free download to give people access to clauses. They can, amend their contracts to include these details about working with kids, text communications, and I'm even going to use some of your wording because I think it's great. So if you go to designersgettingcoffee.com and you'll find the show notes for this episode, episode six, you'll be able to download that. And this has been vetted by my attorney, but you feel free to run it by yours as well. Um, Those are, you know, easy ones. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with making your own rules, right? It's your business. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, we'll dive deeper into contracts and agreements in a future episode, but that stuff might not even go into a contract that might be more suited for a welcome kit or kind of like a, you know, best practices document you send. It's really up to you. It might differ from state to state, but those are great things to consider in your client communication so that everyone knows what to expect. Clients know when and how to reach you and there's no dancing around like, Oh, they sent me a text again. Do I have to respond? Like, no, they know up front what your policy is, how you work. And it just makes everything smoother. Honestly, I I've had, I have this one client. She, she's known from the beginning. They're still going to do it. I have this one client who just can't seem to stop texting me questions about design. Like, you know, and I just, I simply don't respond. I very kindly um, ignore it. And then in the morning I will respond via email and just move the conversation there. And this particular one just can't seem to just, I don't even have a conversation. I don't even respond and say, I'm sorry, I can't respond to this text message because it's in my rules. I just don't respond. And then in the morning I do reply via email if I remember. If you remember, that's the problem with texting is that they're so easy to forget. And I think it's a great policy to not text as communication. So as we are sort of heading home on this episode, I know we've talked about the idea of getting help, time blocking in an ideal week and what we have in our contracts. There's something sort of more mindset related I want to make sure we touch on. And that's the idea that it is okay to be a working parent, that it is awesome to want more than just a family, to have your own dreams and ambitions and to want, to want more. 
I think that is something, I mean, girl, I know I have struggled with the mom guilt as awful as that is. And I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'm guessing you probably have too, as have most of our listeners. So I would love to hear about a moment where you really felt like you made the right choice continuing to work and keeping your business when you have kids. Because I think there's a lot of mamas and dads out there that might be working, might have their kid in a pack and play right now and be trying to live the dream and struggling with it. And is there a moment that you had that, you know, kind of made it all work or made it all feel worthwhile to you? Um, I have had many actually. Um, I mean, just think about any time Miami, my kid was sick this week. She had this extraordinarily painful infection and she needed me to be with her. In fact, it took both of us, me and my husband, both to take her to the doctor. She, and, and I just, I was so grateful to not have to str- just be present with my kid, not have to struggle with, I, I know when I worked in cor- the corporate world, we were expected to work at least 40 hours, but most people worked a lot more than that. I wasn't one of them, <laughs> but if you have to stop and take time out of your day to go do something like that, you're, you know, you either use your medical time, which goes up like that when you have kids, plus yourself needing to go to medical appointments. Um, you have to figure out how to make up those hours during the rest of the week, which is just time outside of the work week that you're not with your kids. It's stupid. I hated it. So I just am so grateful that anytime I have a sick kid that I can be there for them. I can be present. I can make them chicken noodle soup. They can sleep. I can work on my laptop if they're sleeping. Um, you know, I, I just, they're so little for for such a little short amount of time, I, I want to be there for them. Um, I, I also do appreciate having my, my time away from them as well. So it's just a balance that works well for our family and for me. Yeah. It's I want to go get them right now. <laughs> well, it's almost time, girl. We're, it's that time. Okay, I was like, we got we to gotta start sliding this thing into home because we do I have know. kids to go pick up and stuff. And yeah, Let's talk I, about this. Go ahead. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I, I agree with all of that. And it's such a beautiful thing to have the flexibility in our lives to create schedules that work for us. And, you know, I think there is a great balance and, you know, kids are only little for so long. I get that. And that's a big part of why I did want to work for myself and not someone else is that I get to dictate what our days look like. And my son is starting an after school program next week because, you know, my husband and I are feeling like we do need a little bit more help and more time. But for the last school year, we have picked up our kids every day at 3.15. And that gives us a solid few hours in the afternoon to just be present as a family and hang out with them and spend real quality time with them before they go to bed. I wouldn't have that at a corporate job. And honestly, if I was home with my kids all day, every day, I'd honestly don't feel for me, there would be the same quality time. The quantity would be there. You better believe it because they'd be there all day. <laughs> but I actually really love working and having a family because work gets to be work and I get to kill it and I get to thrive and do all the things I love. Family gets to be family. I get to try to kill it because it's real hard with kids, but do my very best to be an awesome mom to them. And I feel like it just helps 
it helps me be better as a human. Having oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I love my kids, but I also love when they're at school. Oh, man. I, I will just piggyback on that for a minute. When we moved to Denver, or sorry, from Denver to Waco, I, um, I tried staying home with my kids. Do you want to know how long that lasted? I don't know. A few weeks maybe for you? days oh my gosh <laughs> I Michael came home and I was in tears and I was like I hate this they're driving me crazy I'm tired I need a nap I it's fully big acknowledge words. big words to me <laughs> it felt like a vacation to go back to work when my son was a little guy like there is just something and I, I don't mean that like he was awful like, he's a wonderful kid I love him but I can't I, and I, I wouldn't want to work 24 7 I also can't be mom 24 seven. Of course I am still their mom. I'm not built that way. That community. I just, I, I just, I'm, that's not in my genes. I'm not built that way. Yeah. I, I appreciate the moms that are, and I see so many amazing moms and there are moms. We have, we have a couple of friends too, that they balance a lot more time at home with their kids and working a very, a much, much smaller work week than we do. And I am so impressed at how they pull that off and yeah. hats off, hats off to all of you guys, no matter what it looks like for you, no matter what your work week looks like, whether it's 10 hours a week, 40 hours a week, I don't care. I'm, my point is let's just find ways to make it practical for your family and, and what's working and figure out what works for you. So let's, should we wrap this up with just some key takeaways, Leslie? We should. Okay. Number one, get help. You can't do it all on your own, whether it's meal service delivery or sorry, I do grocery delivery or meal delivery or housekeeping or a bookkeeper or a design assistant or a spouse or a parent, whoever get the help you need Yep. because you can't do it all on your own. Leslie. It is okay to want more than just a family and to have your own dreams and ambitions and to feel good about going after them because it can be done in a way that serves everybody. And for me, I want to be an example to my kids of what's possible. I want to show them that it is okay to be a woman and a business owner and a mom and love my life, period. Yeah. I feel like that should have been the last one, so we could drop the mic. But oh, okay. Well, we got we got just two more. Don't pick the mic back. <laughs> okay. Um, time blocking. Um, think about your ideal week and think about when you are, um, at your best and what your peak times are and work your week around that. Um, and also think about it seasonally too and scheduling and booking your clients. Um in a seasonal calendar as well. And, and think about summers. Um, I, I will make one list, one last quick little entry point on this one that I missed earlier, but I have started only doing one client at a time during design development. And that has exponentially allowed me to be more productive. And if you want, you can uh, ask us more about that on Instagram um, or email us or whatever you, you want, but I can share more about that, but time blocking, figure out your ideal week. Yep. And lastly, make sure you have it in your contract to set the expectations of your availability and communication with clients. If everyone's on the same page up front, they know that you have kids. They know your time is going to look different than their doctor's office or their dentist. And that's okay if you have front loaded that with them. And so 
I would love to hear, we would love to hear from you guys on social media about this. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Designers Getting Coffee. I think this is a great topic to discuss. We would love to hear tactical points from you. We'd love to hear your stories. We also acknowledge this can be a sensitive topic. There are a lot of opinions and rightfully so. Everyone is entitled to them. And we just ask that if you are going to engage that we're doing it in a constructive way that is supporting and encouraging each other opening up everyone to different possibilities and seeing all the different points of view that are out there about being a mom, being a dad, being a parent, being a boss. There's, there's a lot. It's, it's life. It's not cut and dry. It's nuanced and there's ups and downs and good and bad. And we just want you to come join the conversation with us. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Kate. We'll see you guys here next week for more coffee and designers getting the coffee. See you then. Hey designer, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Designers Getting Coffee.